Well, hey there. My name is Darcy. You are listening to another episode of the Business of Ergonomics podcast, and today's going to be a ripper. Before I get into this, um, you might be hearing some crickets. Literal crickets are in the background. I try to look for those little guys. I don't know where they are. I can hear them. And I, I actually delayed. I delayed doing this podcast for a long, long time because I didn't want these crickets in the background. But one of the things I share with my students, whether it's the ergonomics blueprint or the accelerate program, I say that it doesn't need to be perfect. You just have to get it going. And um, I was, I found that I was using these crickets in the background. I'm not even sure if you can hear them, but I was using this as an excuse to not record this podcast or really any podcasts at all, because this cricket issue has been a consistent problem for the past three weeks, four weeks even. So I'm taking imperfect action. I'm not waiting for things to be perfect. I'm going to iterate as I'm going. And you'll have to let me know by sending me an email whether or not you could hear these crickets that are driving me crazy. So for today's episode, I want to talk about something that I feel is going to, I guess, give you another opportunity to make money to serve your clients. Ergonomics, that's what it's all about, right? There's so many ways that we can provide value to our clients when it comes to offering our services and leveraging our our knowledge and our skills. Many ergonomists, I find we we tend to stick to doing either one-on-one ergonomic assessments or even some training presentations, and, and that's great. And I feel that there's all these holes, there's all these opportunities um, for us to fix the challenges that our clients are doing, are experiencing. And that leads me to what I want to talk to you about, an overlooked service offering, and it is about functional accommodation um, consulting. And functional accommodation, if you've never heard of it, of course, there's like there's two streams of ergonomics, right? You have your proactive, um, trying to identify the ergonomic risks before they can occur to stop the injury progression. And then we have reactive. And reactive is a really useful way to reduce workers' compensation costs, reduce um, other costs related to injury, both direct and indirect. Um, and there are certain things that we can be doing more of as an er- as an industry to help our clients. And that's what I want to talk about today. The reactive things that we can leverage to get those people back to work, um, whether the, the key thing to bringing someone back to work has to be safe and effective. Um, one of the biggest things that I've learned in my time, and because I, I've been an ergonomist for about 15 years now. Um, I've worked in private consulting. I worked for actually workers' compensation boards um, in their prevention um, part of the work. I've 
conducted more consulting, and then I worked um, managing an in-house ergonomics program for a really, really big organization. So I've been able to tie in all these factors together and to make to make a really effective ergonomic program. And what does effective mean to me? Well, it means that not only are we trying our best to be proactive as possible, and let's face it, trying to identify ergonomic risks before they actually um, occur is something that's based on effective management, um, being able to t- touch base with people, do training presentations, let them know what the process is. So if someone has discomfort, they can bring it forward to supervisor and management. And there's a protocol in place to get that person an ergonomic assessment or either some quick wins or training there's something that should be there. But that is something that is very time consuming. It needs a whole system. So what um, what may happen when someone um, has an injury, right? We just it fell through the cracks. Maybe there's something that happened off of work on the weekend or um, maybe something in the course of job duties. But a really effective ergonomics program, when I was talking about this, is something that um, um, is cost-effective. So you're looking at cost, we're looking at absenteeism, we're looking at the amount of claims, we're looking at claim duration, um, we're looking at number of people served, what the fixes were, how much these fixes were. It all goes together, and traditionally, ergonomics programs have been one of the more intangible ways to measure success. Um, And maybe I'll get into how we measure the outcome of what makes ergonomics so effective. And maybe I'll do that for another podcast for another time. But there's definitely ways we can measure this and let our clients know this is really effective. Um, Now let's talk about the reactive side of ergonomics. Ergonomics, when it comes down to it, is making sure that there is a fit between that, that job and that person's capabilities. And when someone is, let's say, injured or discomfort or any of those aspects that affect them doing that job, if that's impacted and there's no more match, then we may not have a safe and effective return to work. So what can we do as ergonomists? I'm going to explain a situation where this is going to be really useful. It's a bit of a process. It is. It is, it is actually a, big of a, a bit of a process, but doing this not only allows you to effectively impact workers' compensation claims so that the direct issues and then the indirect issues related to returning someone back to work, but it builds that relationship of trust with that employer to cement that you are the expert. You know what you're doing. You can help them not only in doing ergonomics assessments, but you can help them lower their their workers' compensation costs. And that is huge. Or even keeping their star employees connected with work. Because we all know that the indirect costs of injury are absolutely astronomical. They're huge. So what I'm going to be telling you, and I have actually a whole blog on this. You can go check it out on my website. Um, it was written September 17th, 2020, so you can check that out. But um, basically what this process does is that it gives um, training practitioners, and this is where you would have to talk to uh, HR and management, but you're giving them tools 
So I'm just going to give you the process on a very high level, and then I'm going to tell you what you can do with the information. So the very high level is where um, that functional functional accommodation form is given from the um, organization to a training practitioner. And basically what a functional accommodation form is, um, and this is something that you can develop as a consultant. It's nothing fancy. Maybe maybe the training practitioner already has one. If they have one, that's great. You don't have to be the middle person. You can just look it up online. There's lots of options here. But if you need to consult and develop this part of the process for workplaces, which is probably what you're going to do because not a lot of workplaces are doing this, is that you have to um, have this form. And this form measures the functional capabilities of that injured worker at that specific point in time. The the, um, assumption is that that person will be improving over time and getting better and better and better. So they will have to have more functional accommodation forms. But you're measuring how long that person can sit or stand or use their limbs or any aspect of uh, functional um, capability that would help you with making sure that you can provide safe and effective work. So um, from that trained practitioner it could be a, a physical therapist, a physiotherapist, um, a doctor, a chiro, whatever. Like it, that, that is dependent on the policy of that organization that you can help with. But as long as you're getting quality functional movement data, what you can do is figure out what needs to be modified at work. All right, this is huge. So no, there's no more guesswork. There's no more, oh my gosh, am I going, from the injured worker, of course, oh my gosh, am I going to be in really unsafe situations that's going to cause my, um, my injury to get worse? Well, we can uh, very confidently say that based on the functional accommodation that we are getting from the training practitioner, we can say these duties match up with what your job, uh, your capabilities are. These ones need to be modified or traded out. And I'm going to give you a list um, later in this podcast of what exactly this means, because there's a certain protocol to be recommending um, modified duties or transitional duties. And when I worked for the Workers' Compensation Board, this was really huge for us because um, not only at the Workers' Compensation Board, but when I was managing ergonomics um, and I even touched in disability management. We used to hear from the workers' compensation board that pain is not compensable. So what does that mean? It means that um, just because someone's in pain, it doesn't mean that they can't return to effective work. And the, the reason why you want to get someone back to work as long as it's safe and effective is that that will stop a long-term claim. And a long-term claim is anywhere more than a week and not at work. Um, and the reason why you want to prevent these long-term claims is that not lo- only does the cost compound, but it has a super negative effect. And we can talk about this another time, but it puts on to put out a lot of pressure um, on that person for, um, well, it just kind of cramps their style, I think. But there are four options here for returning someone back to work, okay? Um, So we want to get people back to work as 
as safe and effective as possible. We look at whether those functional abilities match with the job demands. And when there is a match between that person's functional abilities and job demands, that is considered safe. And you might be asking yourself, how the heck do you measure the demands of the job? Well, hey, hello, that's another service offering. That's another service offering that you can do. You can do, um, it's either called like physical demands analysis, job demands descriptions, or just getting out with a ruler and taking some really good measurements of all the reaches, the heights, um, the things that are lifted, the reaches, all that, all that stuff. Um, will give us as much information in order to conclude whether or not the functional abilities matches the job demands. And remember, if there's a match, it's safe. Everything is good to go. But our concern as adding value to an organization to stop claims, to enhance uh, um, the return to work program, to enhance, enhance essentially what we're doing, we're enhancing people's lives, right? We're making um, we're ensuring that they can return back to work to something they love and all the the um, the indirect factors of having someone back at work. So when there's a mismatch between someone's functional abilities and the demands of the job, that is considered to be unsafe. When you determine that, and this is this can be you. In this position, looking at the functional capabilities from that train, from from that trained practitioner, looking at comparing it to the work that you did on the job demands, and this is you and all your expertise saying, "Hey, there is no match between what this person can do and the job demands. We need to look at modifying um, or getting um, accommodation." into this job so we can return this person back to work. Because you may look at it and say, there is a mat. Like there are parts of that job that will work, but we need to get creative here. So there are four options here. And you can imagine that you're in this situation. It could be, you know, a very high pressure situation when you're trying to get someone back to work. Everyone's stressed out because um, that that injured worker is maybe a little nervous. Uh, the workplace is stressed out because they want to provide safe and effective work. And they also have this huge claim that's starting to happen. So there's four options here that you can provide. And these these work every single time. And they will they will require you to think outside the box and have really good communication skills with that human resource uh, contact that you have in a workplace. And even brainstorming with the employees at the job and other employees who do the same job because we're going to have to be really flexible during this period of um, functional accommodation. So let's talk about these options. Four options. So option number one is that you are going to eliminate the duties from their usual job that don't match what that person safely can do. Option number two is you're going to eliminate duties from the usual job, but then add duties from another job that falls within the functional abilities or the functional requirements that that person has. Okay, so that's option two. You're getting creative. You're getting, you're filling their days with um, duties from another job that are within that person's functional abilities. Option three is that you are going to assign another job that meets 
the injured worker's functional abilities. So it's an entirely other job. It could be from another department. It could be something that is not in their expertise, but it meets the worker's functional abilities. And option number four is assigned duties from various other jobs. And this option number four is the biggest type of accommodation because you're putting them in situations that that worker is not used to just in order to get them back to work as it's safe and as it's effective. Um, now, there are there's a hierarchy here when you want to return someone back to work, okay? And the number one thing is that you want to try to get them back into the same job as they're in before, because of course that person has their expertise, they have those relationships with um, their coworkers. They really like their job, right? So you want to try to get them into that job and give them accommodations to stay in that job. That's the top hierarchy. That's priority number one whenever you're doing a return to work. But sometimes that is just not possible. It really isn't. Um, so that's when you look outside the department, um, get them doing something that they're not, um, maybe an injured worker isn't, um, have experience with so that will require more training from management and administration to make sure that they are comfortable doing that job. Now, I can imagine some of you guys are listening to this and you're thinking, holy smoke, stars, uh, this seems like a really big process. And I'm not going to lie, there are a lot of moving parts to this. But I hope you can see that there is value in just kind of um, pivoting on what we know um, in our, in, as being ergonomist consultants, professional ergonomists, we can provide value, offer, um, make these deliveries, deliverables to our client in a way that I think is really, really valuable. Um, when we're talking about office ergonomics here, the most common thing that you are going to be doing is looking at those functional abilities of that person. Um, and then probably you're going to be modifying the, the workplace or getting in equipment. It could be that, um, there's different type of mice that are available. Uh, could be that they need to have a sit stand workstation. And of course there's, there's ways that we can offer value to that workplace because can you imagine someone has on the weekend, someone did one of those ninja courses or something crazy or working in the garden and they did something to their back they're perfectly capable to return to work but they just can't sit and if that person just not being able to sit is going to prevent um, a safe and effective return to work or is going to prevent them adding value to the workplace and the employer well that's a really simple solution there's, of course, really simple ways we can incorporate more standing into work. And it could be as easy as immediately getting some boxes, turning them upside down, sit to stand. There you go. We can look at more uh, permanent options in the future. But, you know, sometimes it's pretty darn hard to bring in um, a sit-stand desk immediately. Unless, unless, because I'm, I'm kind of vibing here a bit, um, unless you look... Um, you, you set up this um, return to workstation, and this is what um, I did at 
my last corporate job is that we knew because it was such a big university, we knew that injury is going to happen. So what I made, I um, bought extra um, sit stand desks. Like these are like um, the things that you clamp onto a desk and the uh, changes a sitting desk to a standing desk. Um, and a really good option here would be like the Ergotron. Like I really like the the work fit units there. So we would have those because it's easy. You could just clamp them to the desk and we would bring this to any situation that would require it. Because we knew that for just on statistics, that if I had this available for employees, it would be used and it can um, reduce the likelihood of long-term claims, all that all that stuff that we were talking in the beginning of this episode. I would have a lot of different types of mice. I would have foot rests. Let's say someone twisted or broke their leg on the weekend and having their leg elevated is the one, um, one thing that's holding them back from returning to work. So I would have all of those. I would have almost anything that you could think, like alternative keyboards, alternative mice, um, that would get someone back to work. I would have. And it was incredibly useful. The investment was maybe $1,000, maybe $1,500 because I had things like the roller mouse and like I said, the sit-stand unit that would allow people to come back to work as fast as possible and as safe as possible. So that's what you can consider having a conversation with your clients. Um, You definitely want to make sure that they are doing something they have some sort of policy in place when it comes to return to work to ensure that people are able to work safe. Um, this, I feel, is like a blue ocean. Um, most employers out there do no, do not have anything, and it's very, very reactive, very much so, and it's not handled the best. So um, having value, showing that this is um, that functional accommodation and using this type of thing is really useful. It's a cost-saving measure. It's going to be bringing their um, employees back to functional and safe work sooner is going to be really, really useful for you. So um, that's it, guys. That's This is the episode. This is the episode. If you are interested in building and growing your ergonomics business, I invite you to sign up for um, the waitlist of Accelerate. So just go to ergonomicshelp.com slash biz, B-I-Z, and you can join the waitlist there. Otherwise, I am going to be opening my course, The Ergonomic Blueprint, in October because we all know it's, it's International Ergonomics Month, and there's never been a better time to get into ergonomics assessments, especially these days when there's people working virtually and working remotely. We can provide an immense amount of value in leveraging your knowledge that you already have up to this point professionally. If you're a physical therapist, a physiotherapist, an occupational therapist, a massage therapist, a chiropractor, um, there's things that we can offer our clients when it comes to ergonomics assessments um, that is incredibly valuable and that will bring in revenue because these things are always needed. So if that interests you, stay tuned because I'm going to tell you how uh, you can get in in the ergonomic blueprint. Um, you can check out um, the blog, sign up for um, 
you can sign up for um, some some sort of lead magnet I have on my blog, but check that out because I'm going to be telling you more about that soon. All right, everybody, thank you so much. I know this was a long one, and we will talk to you again real, real soon.